Welcome to Bottoms on Top. I'm John. And I'm Andreas. And we're happy to have you. We just want to start out by letting y'all know the semester's coming to a close, which means that season two of Bottoms on Top is coming to a close. So we'll have one more episode in two weeks, and then we'll be off for winter break, and then we'll see y'all again in January. Yes. So for our final episode, it'll be a special one. We're going to put out a Google form on our Facebook page, or you can email podcasts at the dp.com and send us your questions, your deepest desires. Is there anything you want John and I to talk about? We'll just be reading all of your questions and feedback and responding to it on air. We figured why not take a season finale as an opportunity to not have a guest and only have us speaking. The greatest form of self-love, if you will. So yeah, check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash bottoms on top podcast or email podcasts at the dp.com if you have any questions comments concerns conspiracy theories that you would like us to address on the season finale ask us anything literally anything you know we'll talk about everything and anything under the sun on another note it was also thanksgiving recently yes it was the good american holiday which means that we were all gathered around the table playing our role as the gay cousin it's a big one it is it's a big role john how was how was your thanksgiving as the gay cousin mine was good um i was the only cousin at this year's thanksgiving so i did not have to put on my my gay cousin outfit and do my (laughs) little gay cousin dance for the for the family what about you um I think my role as, like, the gay cousin on Thanksgiving is uh, kind of quiet. I'm definitely, I think it's more of me, like, observing, like, this, like, toxic masculinity and misogyny and just, like, sipping my iced tea and enjoying my stuffing, which it's kind of tiring, but, you know. I feel like there's a big difference between being the gay cousin as, like, an eight-year-old and being the gay cousin now. Like, when you're eight, I feel like it's, you know, the classic, like, skipping rope instead of playing football with the boy cousins, etc. But now it's more like, uh, I'm helping Aunt Colleen make the pies (laughs) while my heterosexual brother is helping carve the turkey downstairs with dad, you know? Except, as I said, I was the only cousin, so I had to play both roles. So, I guess you could say I was a little heteroflexible this Thanksgiving. (laughs) Bend those gender roles. (laughs) Bend them up. She does it all. So, Andreas, I recently went out with a group of friends, acquaintances, really. um, And it was a, you know, fun night, whatever. We were out, we were dancing. And then we ended up all spending the night together. And I was sharing an air mattress with someone I didn't know particularly well and you know but it was okay we were just trying to sleep through the night etc but those plans were interrupted when around 3 a.m i woke up and this person was no longer on the air mattress and i was felt myself drenched oh in some liquid and i Like I said, these were acquaintances, so I was, like, a little mortified. I was like, did I piss the bed on, like, this stranger's air mattress? (laughs) And so I get up, and I'm literally, I was wearing, like, a sweatshirt, and it was, like, 
sopping wet with urine. And so I, I'm oh like, God. I'm like walking around this apartment, like, what the fuck? And the girl wakes up, whose apartment it is, and she's like, "Are you okay? What's going on?" And I was like, "Um, someone wet the bed. <laughs> I don't think it was me." And she knew the person who I had been sharing the air mattress with very well, and she was like, "They do this all the time." Oh my God! And I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> Why was I housed next to this person if you knew this was a possibility? It's like when your mom puts the baby gate up on your like <laughs> up on your like childhood mattress. Like, don't fall off the bed and don't pee yourself tonight. Like But so thankfully she helped me get down to the, the laundry room. Um and in the time being I used one of her towels and my coat as clothes because all the blankets and all of my actual clothes needed to be washed. Oh my God. Um, so I just laid like that for a few hours shivering. And then as soon as they got out of the dryer, I was like, Audi. But it, you know, maybe it's a, a gateway into a new life for me. Maybe I'll take it as inspiration to get into like a water sports type life now. Yeah. I think it's, it sounds like a story to tell. Definitely was a story to tell as you just told it. (laughs) (laughs) So that's good. Did the other, was the other party sorry? Did you get a chance to interact with them? I did get an apology. My thing is like, I kind of like when things like this happen a little bit. It's so I always say I really like when someone like accidentally spills a drink on me because it's my opportunity to show like just how chill I am. Like, they spill a drink, and they're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Like, it'll wash right out. Like, have a good time. Like, forget this even happened. And they're like, wow, John is so chill. And so getting pissed on is, like, (laughs) the extreme version of that, where they apologized. And I was like, it's not a big deal. Like, it happens. Literally you dripping with your... Like, Like there was, like, a trail around the apartment from, like, my sweatshirt, like, dripping. Don't worry. It'll dry. It'll dry in a minute. It'll air dry. Like, <laughs> but anyway, I'm happy you received your apology. Yeah. yeah. And it really was. I also was a bedwetter until like eighth grade, um, which is a big part of my identity. I would say. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, compared to most people, I'm relatively comfortable waking up. <laughs> <laughs> like it's not that far out of my like comfort zone. Usually, it's my own though. Yeah, it's a little different when it's someone else's, but. As you said, John, you're chill. You're cool. I'm chill. You can hang. So coming up, we're going to have Zoe (laughs) Alb. We'll have to ask her how to say her name. Um, Zoe, about queer life and recent queer politics in Australia. We'll also have Nolan Hill. Nolan. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Nolan. We'll also have Nolan Hill come to talk about his artwork and how queerness affects it. We'll be right back. (laughs) Okay, so we are here with Zoe. Wait, Zoe, I forgot how to pronounce your name. (laughs) Albano (laughs) Orit. Zoe Albano Orit, who just came back from a semester abroad in Australia. And we wanted to know a little bit about the social life there and being around and during the referendum and things like that. So let's start with the social life. Were you clubbing with the queers? <laughs> um, 
I only ended up going to like gay bars or like gay clubs like a couple of times um, just because of like the nature of how like my social life was over there. I didn't really have like any like gay friends or anything, which was like very sad, you know, but um, so I really only did it like towards the end, like when especially like when the votes were coming in, like for the referendum or like the postal vote. Um, but yeah, um, they were very fun um the gays in australia know how to have a good time um yeah like on the night that the like results of the postal vote came out um there's this one like street kind of between like cbd which is like the downtown sydney area and like where i was at um, studying at university and the streets, like, the entire day, the street was just filled with people overflowing. Like, all the bars had really long lines. Like, just so many people out and about just, like, celebrating. Just, like, rainbow flags everywhere, which is really cool to see. Should we take it a step back? And though we've mentioned this moment in Australian politics before on this podcast, give the listeners an overview of what was going on. Yeah, so basically... Um, the Australian government decided to do a, like, a postal survey, um, to the citizens, um, just asking, like, whether they wanted to legalize same-sex marriage or not. Um, so it wasn't really, like, an official vote. It was kind of more of a survey to, like, take the national temperature on the issue. Um, and then, so after the vote, like, if it was a yes, which it ended up being, um, they could... Um, bring a bill to parliament about it but it wasn't like a vote that would like legalize it definitely gotcha and the results were yes we love to hear it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah um i think by a pretty big margin at least for like a national vote it was like 60 some percent oh wow yeah so that was pretty cool to see let the gays marry yes can you say more about that night when the results of the survey were in yeah and people were celebrating Mm -hmm. so i went out to a few different bars that night um and i ended up back in that main like kind of like street where all the like gay bars and stuff are and it was just like everyone was on the streets just like walking around like like dancing like celebrating like yelling like singing just like having a great time just like hanging out and like doing whatever they were doing um Everyone was in a really great mood, obviously. Um, but yeah, um, the bars for the line, like, or lines for the bars would just like wrap around the block. Like, and it was just like everyone was out, just like celebrating, which was like super cool. Do you think that Bindi Irwin was out there too? I sure hope so. <laughs> she voted yes. <laughs> of course she did. She's our Good. biggest Australian ally, I think. <laughs> That's what I hear. Do you know anything about the current legal proceedings? Now that the vote is in? Um, yeah, a little bit. I think they passed, or one part of the government passed a bill. Um, I don't know much about Australian politics in general, just because like, their system is very different from ours. Um, but it's moving through the government. Um, I don't know if they'll add like amendments to the bill or anything, but um, hopefully it will become law kind of soon. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Any takeaways from Australian gay life? Good things, bad things compared to the U.S., things we should be borrowing from them? Um, Yeah, well, they have so many more, like, girls' nights and, like, like women's, like, clubs and bars and stuff than, like, a lot of major 
American cities do. Like, Philly doesn't have, I don't think Philly even has, like, a lesbian bar anymore. One, the Toasted Walnut. Oh, didn't that, is that open now? Mm-hmm. Is it fun? I've never been. Hmm. Well, we have one. New York has, like, a couple. Like, New York, like, has so many gay people. Like, how do they only have, like, a couple lesbian bars? But, like, Sydney, like, it would be, like, like every, like, Wednesday, Thursday, or maybe not, like, Wednesday, but, like, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Like, there would be, like, a different women's night at, like, different bars across the city. So that was, like, pretty cool to see. Even if I, like, didn't go to that many of them. Like, I knew that, like, where I could go and, like, I had the option to do it, like, any week that I wanted to. Yeah, I don't even think, off the top of my head, I can't think of, of like, a women-specific events at any of the gay bars in Philly. Yeah. Uh, neither can I. Yeah, so... Get on it, Woodies. <laughs> Seriously. We could learn some lessons from our Australian friends. Our friends from down under, if you will. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Zoe. From You flew all the way from Australia and came right here from the airport. Yep. So thank you very that's, much. That's what thank happened. You, <laughs> Thanks for having me. We're here with Nolan Hill, a dear friend and campus artiste, to talk about how identity affects art and what it's like being a queer artist on campus. Welcome, Nolan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm psyched to be here. It's been a dream of mine to be with you. And we're so happy to welcome you here. <sighs> Shall we get into it? Let's get into it. So to start off, Nolan, why don't you just tell us about some of the work that you do and what kind of art that you're into and things like that. Okay, yeah, so I'm a fine arts major. I also feel like I'm talking on NPR because I'm like very quiet, <laughs> which is not my normal way of speaking. Mm-hmm. But Just remember um, that this is an X-rated oh, absolutely. podcast. Yeah, so, so I'm like trying to make it as speak sexy freely. as possible. Yeah. Loosen up. Oh, great. I definitely will like do some calisthenics. Um, so I'm a fine arts major. I'm a senior. And um, I originally was doing a lot of like design work. And then I found that I was more interested in art for art's, art's sake, and I started doing photography, very, like, sexy queer photography, and then I've recently moved into video work so I can, like, rep- record myself doing sexy performances. <laughs> That's been Yeah, it's been the reviews. Everyone's like, this is a very sexy performance. <laughs> <laughs> um, how would you say that being queer has affected all of this very sexy work? Um, I think... From a very early age, I knew I was creative, and my parents definitely did, too. Um, When did you tell your parents uh, that you were creative? (laughs) (laughs) It was really hard for me, but um, I eventually decided to disclose the information um, around my junior year of high school, and they were very supportive of my creativity, as multiple people in my community have been, in the creative community. I don't remember the question, but I'm going to keep talking. <laughs> um, How your identity yeah, has okay, affected okay, okay. your work. So I think, like, pretty much all of the artwork that I am producing um, is very much related to the things that I'm interested in. And the things that I'm interested in are so often related to queer issues and things in my life that I'm thinking about. Maybe it has to do with relationships or sex or any myriad of issues. Um, so I don't really find myself interested in making straight artwork. Um, It's all about that, you know, flaming colors, gayness that I want to pinpoint. 
no straight artwork, 2K17. Delete it all, please. Yeah, Queer get, it off, the get it all off Tumblr. Da Vinci was homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any piece of artwork in particular that you want to talk about that really speaks to your identity or just a project you've been working on that you may want to share with our listeners? Yeah, um, I'll go back in time to my freshman year of high school. Take and, us there. Yeah, oh my God, I'll set the scene. So I had just started high school and my, my school had a um, requirement for art classes. And we had to take this foundational course in either performing or visual arts. And I chose performing. Actually, I chose visual, but they put me in performing <laughs> anyway. Um, but it's okay. You know, I, like, became a better person for it. I feel like that's very classic, like, high school, like, put the gay kid in performing arts against yeah. their will. Yeah, they were like, um, he wants to do it, but we really think. Like, I don't know be better. how I ended up in, like, a theater class in high school. It just, like, appeared on my transcript. They were like, this, this child has, like, a slight lisp. Put him in there. It's like a gay rite of passage. <laughs> so you're in this performing arts class. Okay, so I'm in this performing arts class, and the I think it was maybe the final project was to make a um, video about yourself, which is like an autobiograph- autobiographical video. And I naturally thought, this was before I had come to terms with my sexuality. For some reason, I naturally thought it was time that I did a music video to Lady Gaga's Born This Way. <laughs> <laughs> And at the time, I was like, this is just, like, a fun song. I like it. It's a bop, if you will. (laughs) I will. You will. We all will. And um, so I made this music video, and I displayed it for the class. And this class was, like, 30 people. I was scared, but I still did it. And then I specifically remember, like, in the weeks following, I think professors thought it was, like, my coming out video. (laughs) (laughs) And they would, like, come up to me and be like, no, man, like this was really important and I'm like so (laughs) glad that you did it and I'm proud of you and I was like wow thanks like I did a really great job on the assignment didn't I (laughs) so you were out before you knew it yeah exactly the rest of the world was like that queer and I was like I love girls (laughs) so perhaps fast forward to Mm -hmm. one of your more recent works um Let's see. Something to choose from. I'm a very prolific artist. (laughs) Um, One piece that I recently did, which is actually on display currently in Charles Adams Fine Arts Gallery. You can see it if you choose. Um, Is a video piece that I had done in response to the movie Pink Flamingos. I don't know if either of you... It's a John Waters movie. Um, And anyway, the final scene... For those low-level gays out there, to put it in your terms, John Waters is the creator of the original Hairspray. Yeah. That's all I actually know him for. (laughs) I think that's a very important reference, but this is perhaps a little bit more risque. Perhaps. So the end of this movie, Pink Flamingos, the main character, who's this, like, voluptuous drag queen named Divine, um, she is on the street, and she's just, like, this disgusting... That's Her character's disgusting and, like, infamously disgusting. So... She's walking on the street with her crew, her, like, cronies, and she sees a dog poop. And so she proceeds to walk over to the dog poop and sit down and eat it. (laughs) (laughs) And I had never seen this movie until very recently. And I just was enthralled. Like, this was amazing. Um, So, and actually, the the actual scene when it was being filmed was real. It was not fake dog poop. (laughs) Oh, my God. So this happened, yeah. This is an iconic piece of gay culture. Avant-garde. I would say. It was avant-garde. It was pushing the envelope. I don't really know what avant-garde means, but I know that that None is None of us it. do. It's not, it's not a known thing. Um, 
So anyway, I responded to the piece by, I was like, this is amazing. I'm going to recreate it with by myself. And so I sat on a green screen and I recreated the scene like shot for shot about like 15 times, just reacted it over and over and over again. And including the poop, like I ate the poop. And I then changed the background so that it was like this endless loop of different backgrounds, like there was a church, there was a office building, there was um, Rittenhouse Square, like all these different places that I saw as cornerstones of a stable modern society. But then I wanted to kind of push the boundaries of what we thought was moral by um, forcing the viewer to watch the scene over and over again and see this disgusting act, become accustomed to it, and question what they thought was immoral or disgusting about it. And it's not so... Um, directly queer, but I would say it. my intention was to make the audience question why they were disgusted by, you know, anal, feces, stuff like that. And I think that relates to gay male identity. I think it do. It does. I think it do, too. So, anyway, that's a piece that I am sort of proud of, but it's definitely a controversial one, perhaps. Check it out. <laughs> Also, inspired by Divine, who is an icon, yeah, um, to also connect it to more mainstream popular culture, Ursula from The Little Mermaid is based loosely off of Divine. And we know that for a fact. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The more you know. I didn't know that. Um, I, I don't know. Do you want to talk more about like eating dog poop? Like, Where'd you get it? Um... I don't want to reveal my secrets. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're going to keep that one on the DL. Would you recommend it? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> whenever you guys get a chance, list. like, you don't even, like, sometimes people leave their dog shit on the ground, and they don't pick it up with those little baggies. You just got to do the job, you know? Yeah. Pick it up. Have a taste. Doing a service to society and yourself. Exactly. Yeah. There's tons of nutrients that the dog didn't get out of that. <laughs> um, so... That this piece sounds like it's an example of drawing from other queer art and like past queers. Um, do you have any thoughts more broadly about how you source your inspiration from other queers? It's actually really difficult, I found, um, because I think with the art world, there isn't a lot of there's not an easy way to explore it. Um, whereas with you know music, there's Spotify and Pandora and things that you can source art that you like and find new stuff. Whereas um, I think with art, you kind of have to find it yourself. Um, to some degree, you can find people through like Instagram photographers or whatever, but it's not quite the same. Um, so I think in general, it's just been a lot of research. You kind of have to um, ask people about, what, about artists that they know about, and you have to do a lot of searches online, but it just comes with time. It's hard though. Sounds like you have to be much more deliberate. Perhaps, seeking yeah. it out. Yeah, you do. Do you have other queers specifically that, queer artists perhaps, that you have drawn inspiration from? Yeah, I think one huge one is, and I hesitate to compare myself to him at all, but is this artist Felix Gonzalez-Torres, who's an AIDS-era um, artist, and did a lot of really important conceptual pieces about um, his partner and himself um, going through the through AIDS and the way that society ignored and like fetishized gay people 
during this time of need. And while that isn't relevant to my life because we live in such a different time now, I think that the the relationship between queer people in society still is this sort of imperfect relationship. And I, a lot of times, um, aim to explore that and push it. I think going off of that, do you ever feel more of an obligation to just produce work that acknowledges your identity, or is it more of just like a passion that you have? It's funny because I think it's actually the opposite. Like, I feel that people don't want me to be producing artwork about queerness because I think a lot of times when you are an identity-based artist or you have some identity that's important to you, people think it's obvious to do something. Like, oh, it's so obvious because you're a gay guy, you would make art about gayness. Um, so I'd say there's even a little pushback, um, but I just, as I said, like, I do stuff that's interesting to me, and what's interesting to me is very frequently, like, queer culture, gay culture, um, and societal critique. You can go ahead and say any names of people who are saying that to you. You can call them out right here, right now. <laughs> it's been done before, right in this studio. <laughs> I have to believe them out. Into that very microphone. You mentioned earlier how you feel that you need to be a lot more deliberate about seeking out art. And I feel that the same is probably true for creating art. So if you could just talk about how maybe once you're no longer in the fine arts program, or if you can imagine those who are not in the fine arts program, you know, how can people make time to create art and make it a part of their lives outside of a structured setting? So I think it depends a lot on what type of stuff you're doing. Like if you're painting, that requires a whole set of things that you don't have to have if you're taking photographs. But um, a lot of I think it, a lot of it is I think just considering things in your head. Like a lot of times I find myself laying in bed and just thinking about the art that I want to produce, and then actually enacting it is you know happens on one day. Um, so I think it's difficult when you're not in a program to do this kind of stuff because you don't have a platform necessarily unless you know you're connected or um, you have some friends who are putting on a show um, but I think it really does have to be you have to be comfortable with not being famous kind of you have to be comfortable with doing things for yourself and producing work for a smaller group of people or for no one at all do you have any more advice for any queers out there hesitating to start their art? I would say I've worked through a lot of my um, feelings and identity through artwork, and it can be really therapeutic. So if you are feeling like this could be an avenue for you, then you should definitely explore it because it's really rich and, and it's incredibly valuable territory. So... I think the biggest thing is just meeting people and knowing who to talk to and who to get advice from. And that's hard, but it's out there. There are tons of queer artists out there in Philly and else, elsewhere, but talk to people. That's all I can say. Even though I hate talking to people, I'm very antisocial. But True. I'm not going to, yeah, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> um, are there any other queer campus artists that you want to give a shout out to? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only one. 
I'm actually the voice of the entire queer artist community. <laughs> like Sam Smith sometimes reaches out to me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Nolan. Oh my God, it was more than a pleasure. Thank you so much, Nolan. And you can check out Nolan's work at Charles Adams Hall from now until... Until next Friday, this coming Friday. Okay. So, like, you got to go in. You have a few days to do this. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely time sensitive. I would definitely... Or you can check out my Vimeo page. Woohoo! Yeah, that's right. I'm pro- I'm marketing myself Can here, we get kiddos. that URL or that at? I don't know how Vimeo works. I'm pretty works. sure it's like Nolan Hill, but... Okay. <laughs> See you later. Bye! See ya! Thanks for listening to Bottoms on Top with myself, John Holmes, and my co-host, Andreas Pavlou. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. We record in the Wexler Recording Studio at Kelly Writer's House, and we want to give a special thanks to The Daily Pennsylvanian, our producer Joyce Varma, and Andrew Ellis, who provides our theme music. You can find him on SoundCloud as Dummy Fresh. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or conspiracy theories, feel free to email us at podcasts at thedp.com. We'll see y'all in two weeks.